Good morning, Manchester, and to those of you in surrounding towns, welcome to Gerard at Large. I am your ever-humble host, Rich Gerard. Thanks for tuning in. You can find us online at GerardAtLarge.com, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, also at Gerard at Large, where we encourage you to like us and to follow us, because we want to be loved. All right, we're, we're happy to say that uh, New Hampshire's drug czar Dave Mara is going to stay with us for another segment. Things uh, things got interesting towards the uh, towards the end of the interview. Not that they weren't interesting before, but you hate to you hate to cut off a topic while you're in mid discussion. And uh, this segment brought to us by Mayor Ted Gatzis. He's tackling the opioid epidemic. He says it's the number one public safety issue facing our city, and he has had a profound effect on the city, state, and nation here in Manchester. He says we worked with our emergency responder community. And developed nationally recognized safe station program in conjunction. We have partnered with providers across the city to treat substance abuse disorder. He says uh, he'll do more and outlines where he's looking to go in his 12-point plan for Manchester. Visit it at tedgatzis.com slash plan. That's tedgatzis.com slash plan. So, Chief, while we were uh, in the break, we were, we were talking about um, whether or not the use of the illegal drugs should be illegal. And I, I have this from a, an audience member in Manchester. Um, uh, okay, don't arrest them. Just don't keep Narcanning them. Now, realize if you don't Narcan somebody, they will, they will likely uh, die from the overdose. Um, but I was ta- literally just talking to somebody last night who said that they had uh, friends in law enforcement so one of the reasons why they think, and I just want to bounce this off you because I, I want to see what your reaction is. They think that if, uh, you know, if, if emergency services um, weren't out there narcanning, that um, uh, addicts would be less likely to overdose because they know the likelihood that they would die would, dry, would, would go up dramatically. What, what do you say about that? Um, I disagree with that. Uh, I think that if you stopped using Nakian, the numbers would shoot up incredibly. Um, the numbers of deaths would, but would that be a temporary spike? Or would would people in the in the in the and addi- those addicted would they would they get the message if if you know there was a sudden? And I, I'm just throwing it that, out there for discussion. Well, sake. think think about this. Addiction because is because it is being said. It, it is being said. And there's a t- actually there's a town in Ohio. I forget the name of the town, but they adopted a three strikes and you're out policy. They'll, you know, if they, they won't, they won't revive you a fourth time with Narcan. Uh, so if there are communities in, in the, in the United States that are starting to take a really serious look at this, obviously, if I that's think their policy. If, if you think about it, addiction is a disease. Now, if we now are leaving to our uh, EMS first responders, uh, the, the option or to make a determination who is to live, who is to die, that's not the society that uh, I don't think anybody wants to see. Um, when you go to a call, somebody needs medical help, uh, you give them that medical help. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- your job is to save people. And it shouldn't be the people, uh, it, it shouldn't be myself or, uh, or anybody making the determination that that person gets treatment and lives and that person doesn't. Th- think about that. If uh, somebody, uh, again, if somebody has uh, had uh, three heart attacks or has uh, had to be rushed to the hospital for some other disease, do we, because they didn't follow the doctor's instructions, do, do we say, do we say we're not going to save them? And I understand your point about that it's an illegal substance, but it is a recognized uh, disease. The right. best way for us to s- stop this from happening is to uh, 
make sure that we are treating, getting people into treatment for that disease. And it's a and, and, and the reason we're having overdoses, the reason we have people dying, uh, is because two things. That primarily, it's the uh, abundance and uh, availability of of opioids out in the street. And right now, the opioid that uh, is being marketed is that is being sold. It's almost exclusively uh, heroin. I mean, excuse me, fentanyl. Fentanyl. So if you look at this, the reason, and the second reason people are dying is because they don't know what is being shot into their arms. They don't know uh, what what is what it's being cut with, what is it being mixed in with. Um, and I've heard John uh, Delaney say this uh, many times that when uh, they mixed fentanyl, when the fentanyl comes up from Mexico, when they mix it here with what they're cutting it with, they use a blender mm-hmm. and they put it into a finger of uh, uh, that is roughly. Uh, um, 10, uh, 10 grams, and when they mix it and they compress it into that finger, um, what, when people use that, uh, the, when the consumer gets that and they take their, dosage, uh, their doses out of that, they don't know where the fentanyl is, how evenly mixed it is, mm-hmm. and they don't know what they're putting into their arms. So that is why people are dying. And we're getting this from a listener. It's Middletown, Ohio. And, um, and, and I hear what you're saying, but, uh, you know, I'm going to give you a little bit of pushback on, on you know, people who with heart disease or diabetes. I'm an insulin-dependent diabetic. You know, I, 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 nothing I did caused that. Um, no family history, no nothing like that. And, you know, I understand my health risks if I, you know, if I eat uh, too much chocolate cake, for lack of a better term. Um, and I, I'm sympathetic with you when you say, hey, listen, if I don't follow doctor's instructions or I don't keep my A1C down – you know, I think you could make a case that an insurance company should be able to tell me, look, we'll insure you as long as you do your part, but you don't do your part, then you accept responsibility for the ailments you develop. Um, I don't see, you know, people like me in the same boat as people who at one point made a choice to try a drug. Now, I realize there are a lot of people who uh, got hooked on legal drugs, legally prescribed because of the nature of these things, the way they were told to use them, and something absolutely needs to be done for them. But that's not everybody in this epidemic. And at some point, everybody makes a choice to try something that they shouldn't try or to do something that they shouldn't do, and, and it, gets, it gets dumped in the public's lap. Uh, and and we as a community suffer all sorts of ills for that. And I guess what I'm looking for, uh, uh, Dave, I keep wanting to call you chief, is, you know, at what point is there some responsibility assigned to the user um, of the of the drug? And uh, it, because, you know, if they're always a victim, if everything's beyond their control, then they're never going to be saved. Well, why don't we? Why don't we? Why, let me ask you. So, what would you? What would you like to to see that after the after three times somebody that is administered Narcan, the next time uh, EMS responds, the ambulance company, fire, police, the no. next time they respond, are you saying that there should be a list in that? Okay, this is three. You have we've saved you three times. This is the fourth time. It, it is now right. uh, you're you're considered do not resuscitate. Is that what yeah. you're saying? No, actually, it, it's not. I, I'd circle back and I'd say, I, and you know, I've thought about it as long as it's been out there, which is not to say a lot, but I, I come back to um, 
Bob O'Sullivan's proposal, the alderman, aldermanic candidate, Ward 2, saying if you use Narcan, it's 30 days um, in jail going through detox. Now, so I, I guess what I'm saying, is, and I understand that, you know, the whole you've got to hit, uh, you got to hit bottom, you got to make a decision that you want to recover and all of that. I, I, I get that. Um, but if the goal is to save lives and the goal is to marshal resources prudently, why wouldn't the state take a look at some kind of approach like that that says if you've if you've gotten yourself to a point where you need to be revived by Narcan, then maybe you should cool your heels for 30 days somewhere at, you know, be entered into a detox program and be given a, you know, a, a chance to, uh, to, you know, to sober up, clean up, whatever the right term is, um, and have access to services so you can start your recovery rather than be afforded the opportunities you can right now. Someone, they can Narcan you, you can walk away from the ambulance. You don't even have to go to the hospital. You can get up and walk away. What are you going to do when you get up and walk away? I'm told half the time these guys get revived, they're ticked off that you screwed up their high. Is that right? I'm sure that happens in some cases. Yeah. I've heard uh, antidotally that that does happen. But getting back to the, 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 the point, it seems, like a, it, it seems like a common sense solution, what, what that person is, is suggesting. However, it would take to do that, it would take criminalizing what is recognized as a disease. And that is where you are going to have an issue. To make it a criminal act to, uh, to, to uh, have the need for medical services. But if that, if that is something, I mean, we're not talking about people walking into safe station here. We're talking about people who had to be re- you know, revived off a park bench. We can go back and forth on it. I think it, the difficulty is making that a criminal offense. Now, again, well, is uh, what we're doing now working? I mean, do we have any evidence that the way we're handling things now is 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 somehow causing this crisis to become more manageable, um, less prevalent? What we and, and getting back to that whole integrated uh, approach that I talked about before, what we have learned is that from the time somebody's seeking treatment, uh, th- that first step to that getting them into meaningful recovery at the end of treatment. It involves a lot of different things. What it does, it involves making sure that we're not putting them out back in the same environment after they go through the treatment because that is when statistics show that is when people are most, one of the points where people are most vulnerable to relapse is right when they get out of treatment. So what we need to do is make sure that each one of those points we make that the services continue, a continuum of care. So, so if, if, they, if they, let's just take this scenario where they, they, they start their treatment in jail under this, you know, you've got Narcan, you go cool your heels for a while. Why not bring them directly into at that point, say, uh, the realm of the drug court and, and have them be monitored by drug court the way anybody else uh, currently goes for the drug court as a way of enhancing their, uh, 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 their opportunity to... Uh, stay sober. Uh, again, Rich, it, I mean, it, it gets back to what I just said. Yeah. We can go back and forth on that one point, but I think the time and effort and money would be better spent in making sure that that continuum of care is in place, and that is where we're going to have our success, getting people uh, out of the out of addiction. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of frightening, though. It, you take a look at the the trajectory, right? 
we we see the you know, phenomenal number of people who in a year and a half, a little bit more, have come through Safe Station. Right? It's about eighteen hundred people, give or take. Um, something like twenty four, twenty five hundred visits, meaning some people have been through more than once, which is fine. But yet uh, there is no evidence that the number of overdoses anywhere in the state, let alone the city of Manchester, which is the epicenter of the, uh, the Safe Station program, um, is doing anything but climbing. So while Safe Station visits are, are growing by leaps and bounds, the numbers of overdoses taking place is still growing. One would think, it, it seems intuitive, that you would see a decrease in the number of overdoses because you were seeing increases in the number of people seeking help. So why are we seeing increases in both? I think what we're, the reason we're seeing that, why we're seeing overdoses, goes back to there's still readily available, cheap opioid-based product out there, uh, fentanyl, and that people do not know what they are taking. That is why you're getting, simply, that is why you're getting the overdoses. Does the state need to step up its interdiction efforts? Is there anything the state can do on the interdiction front, or is that uh, you know, purely a national you know, failure? No, this is... I mean, if you look at the, the interdiction efforts that the, the state has taken, st- the state, the, you know, the Department of Safety, state police, the partnerships that they have had with uh, state, local, and federal law enforcement, uh, they're working hard to try to get as much of this fentanyl off the street. Now, you uh, can having say, a sanctuary you, city like Lawrence camped out on our on our southern border is not well, doing us any favors. Well, you you can say you can say, well, look, their their efforts, they it still hasn't had. Right. It still hasn't had an effect, but imagine, imagine how many deaths would have resulted. Uh, the possibility of how many deaths would have resulted from uh, if that fentanyl that they have taken off the street had mm-hmm. gotten out in the street. And uh, you look at the efforts that uh, local police departments are making in the state with interdiction, with getting involved, with partnering with uh, other municipalities, with the uh, Granite Shield initiative that is now going on. Now, the governor has uh, <clears throat> added to the, the uh, uh, state police uh, interdiction team, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I thought I, I saw the stats of what just having three troopers in, in that team, what the, the impact that they had as far as uh, getting involved with taking uh, people uh, as well as uh, uh, drugs and money off the street. And now they, they, they're going to have, they have seven uh, people in that unit, and they're going to more than double the, and I have confidence they're going to more than double what they did, uh, you know, last year. It is 22 minutes after the hour. You're listening to the Dread Large Radio Show. I'm Rich Gerard with Dave Mera. He's the state of New Hampshire's drug czar. And we have been talking for nearly an hour now about what's uh, happening in the state of New Hampshire with respect to the opioid crisis. Um, so... Uh, I, I, if there was an easy answer here, uh, uh, Dave, uh, people would have found it by now. Uh, do, does the state come up and say, hey, wow? Because, you know, I, I look at safe, back to Safe Station. I mean, even though uh, you mentioned Nashua's Safe Station program, even though Nashua's got one and a handful of other communities around the state do, those communities still have people coming to the city of Manchester to go through its Safe Station uh, program. Do, does the state of New Hampshire take a look at um, – I don't want to say mandate, but come up with some sort of mechanism whereby local police and or fire departments are, are doing safe station types of things as a as a way of uh, creating more access points uh, to treatment. Uh, and if so, then that begs the question of the state of New Hampshire has got an insufficient number of beds to treat the 
number of people that want to be treated. Um, where, where's the relief there? Is, is that in the works? Is that coming? Is, is that happening somewhere fast enough? Well, yeah. What, well, not it, fast enough, but is it, it happening somewhere? It's, it's about finding those gaps that we have. Where do we plug in our resources at this time? What is the most vulnerable points that people have during that whole continuum of care? Now, if you look at, uh, and, and one thing I want to make clear, um, Serenity and uh, Safe Stations, they're not the only, place, they're not the only places or people mm-hmm. that are doing things in, in Manchester. You have mm-hmm. the Farnham Center. You have uh, places like uh, Hope, uh, F- Hope for Recovery. Uh, you yeah. have a lot of people that are working very hard to, uh, to, to be involved in, in, in fighting this whole problem. So it's not just those, th- those two entities, the fire department and, uh, right. um, and Serenity. They, they're the ones that are getting the numbers. So I, I, I look at, I look at uh, safe stations in Manchester as being a mass unit. What they're doing right now is that it, it's, it's great what is happening. It's great how the fire department is. It's, it's triage it's, on the front lines. It's triage on the front lines, but we have to move past that point that where people aren't going to fire stations, where people are actually going to a treatment intake center that they're, they're, instead of tying up our firefighters and, and, and using those resources that way, we, we need to, as a state, as, uh, as any municipality needs to do, is, is to get those people back to doing what their main focus is. And we need to get it so that people are going right into, a, right into tre- treatment from the beginning. So that is what we need to do. And that is what we're working on as a state. Uh, this state, just like uh, the vast majority of states in this country, were caught off guard by this. Nobody knew what the severity and the, the accompanying issues that were, were coming uh, with the whole opioid crisis. I have some people here asking me about the, uh, the 60 Minutes uh, report that ran over the weekend. I don't know if you've seen it, but apparently it looks like the federal government relaxed uh, standards on the distribution of opioids, and they popped up everywhere. I mean, how big a problem are legally prescribed prescription drugs uh, when it comes to this crisis, and why is New Hampshire one of the biggest pill popping states in the nation when it comes to these these things? Well, I believe I believe from everything I've read and um, talking to people that this opioid crisis was a result of the, the pharmaceutical companies marketing opioid uh, opioid uh, painkillers, uh, the way they were prescribed, uh, that the, the whole notion that uh, uh, pain is a, uh, a fifth vital sign or a vital sign that, uh, that, needs, to be ad- that needs to be totally addressed and uh, eliminated. Mm-hmm. I think all of those things came together where if you look at what, what is the stat that the United States uh, consumes 90% or something crazy like that of all the opioids in the world. Mm-hmm. So that is where the problem started. That is where people got, that, that, that really started getting addicted. It's not only people that were prescribed pills, but it's also the pills that were left in medicine cabinets that kids started taking or young adults started taking. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe that is where it started. Now, if you look at uh, if you if you look at what happened next, is that once uh, somebody who is addicted either through uh, legal prescriptions or f- from from taking pills that didn't belong to them, what what happened uh, is that they went through their own resources. Mm-hmm. 
they went through their uh, family's resources, or and then they could not afford the pills. Right. The, the, so then they end up going getting the stuff that's cheaper than a six pack. Then it, then the, the Mexicans they filled fill that void. They flooded the market with cheap heroin, and then around uh, 2015, uh, you you didn't see too much heroin. Now it was all fentanyl, which is a lot cheaper and a lot more powerful and easier to uh, pack uh, to get the, the, the most bang for their buck. So I believe that is where it all started, and and we progressed to this point, uh, and we progressed in what drugs are now being used. And now you're seeing uh, fentanyl being uh, mixed with with other drugs, and it's becoming even more dangerous of an issue. Gotcha. So, Chief, I'm going to give you a uh, – <laughs> it just doesn't sound right to call you czar. <laughs> so, Chief, once a chief, always a chief, Right. Um, I'll I, I give you a chance uh, uh, to sort of uh, wrap up your thoughts here uh, on where we are and, and where we're going and if people want to what, – what people can do to help or, or where they can go to learn more and, and have a better understanding of this because, you know, this is this – is, uh, watching this is like watching a slow-motion train wreck that you can do absolutely nothing about. Well, one thing I just want to, to uh, acknowledge is that people are getting uh, what is a lot of people call compassion fatigue. If you look at uh, well, I, 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 I just I just got a message from someone just along that point, not to interrupt. You said, you know what? Um, I want to I want to make sure I read it correctly. Said I like the street three strikes rule regarding overdoses. It's causing burnout among responders. And th- 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 that is that is of the compassion fatigue when you're constantly going to these. You know, let's use Manchester as an example, even though this is across the state, up north, everywhere, but. Uh, you look at how many overdose calls there are that the police department uh, and the fire department uh, respond to. It does, if you do that day after day after day, you do get that fatigue. Yep. Uh, and, and so I understand that. Uh, we have to do uh, our best to get uh, uh, training, how to deal with uh, compassion fatigue uh, with first responders. And I can understand people, citizens, that nobody wants to hear that their city or their town is uh, about all the overdoses. They own property. Uh, they, 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 there's a school system. The, 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 their kids go there. They, they, they're, um, too much focus is placed on. Um, they feel too much focus is being placed on there, right. on, on that issue. Too much money is being spent on that issue. Um, so I, I certainly understand that. But we are not going to get out of this anytime soon. And we need to keep on making sure we're filling those gaps. We need to really build from the first time somebody treat, uh, seeks treatment to the end when uh, they start recovery. And all the gaps that now exist in that continuum of care, we need to make sure that we are plugging and that, uh, it is, that there is no breaks in that, in that treatment. And that is the most effective and cost-effective uh, uh, statistically the most effective way for us to get people to have the, mo- the highest success rate. And the, the one thing that we really need to do more of is the prevention part. Not only talking to our kids from an earlier age, but from elementary school all the way through high school and, and into college. We have to keep on sending the same message. We have to communicate with the, the, our young people in a way that they understand. Um, and we also have to educate our, our, our parents. 
they have to know, look for the signs. Don't be, don't, don't be what happened to so many people that I never even knew. You have to look for the signs. You have to talk to your kids. I saw a study that was done, um, and they did a 40-hour week. They broke down what teenagers, kids do. Uh, and it, what astounded me is that uh, they, a half an hour a week is spent alone with, just alone with their father for two-parent households, and then like two and a half hours was spent alone just with the mother. The rest of the time was on the computer, video games, watching TV, and that is something that I think parents have to be really, really uh, um, cognizant of because we don't realize how much time we don't spend with our kids. Mm-hmm. We have to spend more time with our kids, uh, make, make sure we're getting the message to our children. This is something that you can't do, you, you must not do, and you have to make sure that you reinforce that constantly. And that's one of the things I really respect about Be Bold Bedford <clears throat> and is that is their, their entire focus is on how do you get to – how do you work with kids to get to their parents and get the parents into the, into the school, into the seminar, and into the dialogue – and so if I could <clears throat> extrapolate from what you're saying here, there is going to be no educational effort in any school that's going to succeed unless it directly involves parents somehow. Yes, it can't just be the school. It has to be It has to be the parents have to be involved. Former Manchester Police Chief Dave Mara and New Hampshire's governor's advisor on addiction and behavioral health. Did I have that right? Yes, you do. It only took me an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise known as the drugs are. Dave Mara, thanks so much. You were very generous with your time this morning. I uh, I appreciate it, and um, I think we I think we had a good discussion on a number of things here that uh, are on a lot of people's minds. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break for traffic, weather, and sports. We'll be back. Stay with us.